Hi, everyone. This is Lindsay from the TEFL Commute. Uh, we have a special announcement before we begin our show today, and that is that at IATEFL 2019 in Liverpool, uh, the TEFL Commute is organizing its first event. We are hosting a board games night because uh, Sean, producer James, and myself are all board game enthusiasts, and we've rented an entire board game cafe. So uh, at the end of the episode, you'll find out information on more about this event. But if you are coming to Ayatafel in Liverpool, and we'll be there on Monday, April 1st, that's the opening evening of the conference, come along and join us, meet us, and uh, play board games with us. The Tuffle Commute, Season 9, Episode 3, in which we discuss all things perfect. Hi, Sean. Hi. Hi, Lindsay. How are you doing? Hey, good, good. How are you? How are you? Uh, I'm all right. Um, have you had a good day? Are you going to try to get me to say it was a perfect day? Oh, nice one. Very good. <laughs> have you heard that song before uh, that oh, I just played? Yes. Yes, I have. It always reminds me of my first university summer job, you know? I just It was one of those songs that was always on in the bar when I was working in the summer. No, not, not the case for me. Anyway... Welcome, everybody. <laughs> this is the Tuffle Commute. I'm your host, Lindsay Clanfield. I'm joined by my co-hosts. That'll be me. Okay. And you are who? For our... I am he. Hi, I'm Sean. I'm the uh, host. And this is a podcast for language teachers. It's not about language teaching always, but the topic seems to come up with increasing frequency. Uh, each episode, we take a topic and uh, dive into that topic a little bit and uh, explore it from different angles. Uh, and this, this episode, our topic is perfect. Well, it's called perfect. So you've got to, got to kind of think that teaching is going to come up really, yeah. isn't it? I mean, if you, ask, if you ask the audience to sit down and brainstorm what might appear in an episode called perfect when you're doing a TEFL commute, I think it would, uh, I think we can imagine that teaching might pop up. Anyway, Lindsay, Lindsay, I'm going to start with okay, this. Okay, go for it. As we always do, we, I'm not sure the audience ever believes this, but we research intensively for our episodes. And I, there was I looking up stuff on perfect and I came across this. It was a blog post, and it said, five areas of grammar that gives, give teachers a headache. There are always a few areas of grammar which inevitably te tie teachers in knots. The same happens in my work as a materials writer, and English grammar is simple in some ways, but can get horribly difficult in others. And I was reading this list of it, and then point five in the list, present perfect. Who wrote this rubbish? <laughs> 
I don't know, but this person said, I left the worst to last. Well, the person that wrote this rubbish was, of course, you, oh, Lindsay. Because no. <laughs> when you put when you put perfect in an ELT into uh, a browser, you actually, you, you've written a lot of blog posts about the perfect yeah. day. So is this one of your uh, one of your teaching hang-ups? Yes, well, I think, yeah. Our episode on perfect will start with the present perfect, which isn't a perfect beginning, I think. But let's go. I think the present perfect in terms of form is pretty easy to explain to learners, right? Like, you know, you just have to say, okay, it's got an auxiliary verb and, um, you know, have, has, had. Um, uh, the only bad news you need to break to them is you need to learn a whole bunch of new forms, the, the past participle. Yeah. So the form like have, had, uh, have, has, or in the past, perfect, had, uh, plus, past participle is pretty easy to sort of explain. The problem is, I think, it's the uses of the present perfect, and certainly the present perfect, more than than the other one. The past perfect is okay, and the future perfect is okay. It's the present perfect. Ah, uh, you mean the, the past perfect? You mean the past before the past? Exactly, like, exactly. And I think that's the the root of the of the perfect. I always try to explain to teachers when I'm doing grammar courses for teachers. The perfect is like prior or before it's like before a point in time so the present perfect is before the present past perfect before a point in time in the past the future perfect before time in the future but it's also kind of connected to that point in time <laughs> sorry before be, before time in the future yes exactly by the time this episode has finished you will have driven me crazy on more than one occasion right so yeah and i will have been listening to you waffle on exactly so this idea that it's it's sort of before a point in time, that's one thing, but then that it's also connected to a point in time. So it's already getting more complicated. I mean, I guess in a way it's kind of retrospective is, is another way of talking about the perfect in general. I mean, it's just, even then it starts just coming all undone uh, when you start trying to explain it. Like, do you explain all the different ways that the present perfect works? Uh, do you just stick at the beginning just to the easy, like, okay, we just use present perfect to talk about experiences. Well, that's that's the usual routes via course book material. Exactly. It? It's suddenly phoned yeah. in at a kind of elementary level. It's like, yeah, you've been struggling with the past simple, but hey, here, contrast it to, contrast yes, it to this. exactly. Have you Have ever, you ever <laughs> is, is the easy one. I mean, I was looking at uh, Scott Thornbury's explanation of the perfect aspect in the new A to Z of ELT, and he talks about two basic meanings, finished with present relevance and unfinished time and broken down into four further uses. So get this. Are you ready? This is why I think this is a nightmare. You can have like resultative perfect in which the present state is result of a past situation. For example, he's had his haircut. Yes. Yay. I've got it. So it's like a grammar, grammar reminder test for me, this. <laughs> Although you also put in a causative passive there to make it even more complicated. Oh, so yeah, let's say, yeah, for example, ah. the security code has been changed, right? Something, okay, this is right. a present state is a result of a past situation. Then we have the experiential perfect, where a situation has occurred at least once in a period leading up to the present. I have seen the light. I've seen the light. Yes. <laughs> have you ever, I love this one, have you ever given a foot massage? <laughs> that was Thornbury's example for that one. So that's the. He does like Friday's in. <laughs> that was like experiential perfect, different than resultative perfect. But then also you have perfect of recent past, where a past situation was very recent. For example, police commissioner Jacobs has just arrived, right? So that's the kind of recent past. So sometimes we say, yeah, it is sort of the recent past, but it isn't always a recent past, plus a problem of the perfect of the recent past doesn't always work with North American English, where we will use the past simple, yes. right? Like, I just did it. 
or I just arrived. That happens in experience as well, though, doesn't it? Yeah. So like, have you seen the movie? Did you see the movie? The, that yeah, would be, exactly. Yeah. And then it's also the unfinished perfect, where a situation that started the past still continues. Like, I've always loved him. Uh, how long has he been on this boat? I've lived in Spain for 20 years, etc. So mm-hmm. you've got all those four things, the four uses of two basic meanings of one aspect of a verb. I mean, come on. Are you going to tell me that that's not a nightmare for teachers? Oh, no, completely nightmare. But what, <laughs> yeah. I, like, what, what, I, what I actually like more is that we've got a basic Lindsay, uh, Lindsay lecture rant going on. We haven't had one of those for ages. I, that's, well, that's... Yeah, there you go. So there you go. Okay, <laughs> rant is over. The perfect, a nightmare thing. It's also the tense that always gets a kicking when people talk about like, oh, why? Well, no, actually, the one that gets kicked most is the present perfect continuous. You know, when people are like, and, you know, we're just spending all this time studying the bloody present perfect continuous. You know, that's always the one trotted out as like as something that teachers spend too much time on oh yeah i mean i mean it's it's really important to know the difference between i've lived in oxford for 10 years and i've been living in oxford for 10 years come on (laughs) okay you know what this has worn me out (laughs) do you want an ad break i think so producer james here with a quick message to say thank you for listening to the podcast did you know that the show has a facebook page twitter account and even a youtube channel Head over to tefelcommute.com and go to the What is Tefl Commute page to find all the links. And then you can tell your colleagues all about us. With your help, we can reach even more teachers. Okay, on with the show. Ah, okay. Much better, better now. Feeling, better? That, feeling a lot better. I, the, the, let's let's move on from the perfect aspect and all that <laughs> stuff to other perfect. I, I, I understand why you chose it. I mean, this was your episode suggestion, and I, I feel that you've, you've you've got a weight off your chest. Uh, I know. I can now just kind of like relax for the rest yeah, of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, the other thing that uh, I thought we could talk about in terms of perfect is off, obviously like perfect as in very good. And um, as we were researching this. Um, I think you came across, you mentioned to me um, that we have touched on this uh, when we've talked about uh, both classrooms and staff rooms That's as right, like the yeah. perfect I, area. I, I, and frighteningly, uh, Lindsay, it was four years ago. <laughs> four <laughs> years ago, we've been four. doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, because oh it's season two. So it must have been in the first year of doing that. So it was season two, episode one. We did an episode on classrooms. And um, it was bizarre. I was just sat there um, a couple of days ago as we were talking when we said, well, well, let's look at perfect classrooms. You know that that nagging feeling of deja vu? Thinking, yeah, Hang yeah. on a minute, we've talked about it. Anyway, let, um, let, let, let's not talk about it. Let's listen to uh, four years ago. If you look at what people say about the effect of, of classrooms on learning, then obviously there's much more to it than just this, the furniture. People talk about the light and the temperature and the noise and, and all those things having a, an effect on learning. Uh, you know, that if there's no actual daylight in the classroom, then the learning might drop off. Uh, or if there's noise, then students will be distracted. It's uh, it's a lot of people have written a lot of things about the about the, the environment of the classroom. I, I guess I would also like tie in with, oh, we're getting really serious again here now, but it would tie in with like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So your basic needs to be met to get motivation would be the, the bottom rung of that, uh, that pyramid of needs is like your physiological needs. So that would be, is there enough light? Is it too hot? Or is it the right temperature? Is it too cold? And so on. If those aren't being met, then you cannot... Uh, get motivated for other things. I mean, it would just be too distraction. I'm trying to decide if I sound younger. 
Uh, no, but I tell you what, I, well, I did sit there thinking, yeah, James has actually improved the sound quality of us. Or could it be that Lindsay has bought a microphone? Oh, has <laughs> bought a microphone? Look at you, target ah, structure. Result, resultative, resultative, perfect. <laughs> all right, let it go. Okay, all right, all right, sorry, sorry. So that was that was a, quite deep. I mean, I started talking about uh, things that Cassius wanted. And you get into uh, Maslow's, oh, the Maslow's theory. Yeah, the Maslow's <laughs> theory, yes. The basic but, physiological needs that need uh, to be but met. What, what, what I was interested, because I looked at the show notes for that episode, which people can still get online if, if they want to go. And we kind of skirted around the perfect costume without talking about the perfect costume. And we left, a, we left a, uh, an article in the show notes called The Perfect Classroom According to Science. Um, ah. So it was kind of mentioning the things that, that we've been we talked about then, but not getting in there. So things that would be in the perfect classroom, for example, would be plants. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Unless you've got people allergic to pollen, you'd have to be careful of certain kind of plants. Somebody go like, can you get rid of the plants, please? In that, in that episode way back when, we we spent a lot of time talking about layouts. In fact, the last ten minutes is me me teasing you on layouts. Oh, that's but, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But layouts is an important thing. Uh, what's the perfect layout? Do you know any ideas? Oh, is it a horseshoe? Are we going to say it's a horseshoe? No, it's not. It's a cluster. <laughs> A cluster, a cluster, a cluster, like a star cluster, like everything, or yeah. like organized, or just like bacteria. Uh, let me read. Hang on. Turning desks into clusters, according to studies, help. Uh, ready for this? Helps women feel it more at ease in a classroom. That said, clusters can also increase the number of distractions for students. That's why science um, says it's the perfect one. All right, all right. Go science. Okay. Not, not, con- not a controversial sex sentence at all in any no. way. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, let's uh, uh, let's, let's over that one. move let's on. Move on. <laughs> uh, temperature now we talked about temperature obviously we mentioned it in that in that clip the ideal temperature any guesses in fahrenheit oh come on well it's an american article i know I but i can't do fahrenheit i'm canadian we always uh, considered fahrenheit to be yeah odd. horrible uh, i only know the fahrenheit of minus 25 degrees fahrenheit because it's minus 25 degrees centigrade oh look at you and your little trivial facts so the apparently the uh, the optimum learning temperature is between 68 and 74 degrees fahrenheit okay all right hold on we're all go to, celsius we're, we're all going to our little google uh, convert <laughs> yeah 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 come on 20 like, 20 degrees okay 20 degrees okay uh, that's all right yeah. yeah. What else have we light? Again, light we talked about. And apparently, uh, if you're exposed to daylight in the classroom, you get 26% high, up, up to, sorry, 26% higher results with it. Wow. Okay. This is from the very scientific study. Of... Yeah, it's an incredibly scientific <laughs> study. I mean, like... <laughs> I mean, there's no, 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 they've got no links to uh, research in there whatsoever. I tell you, oh, you're dissing my, the study. So we had light noise, which we talked about, obviously okay. noise, uh, temperature we've talked about. Oh, wait, no, the noise. What was the noise that we talked about? Was there a certain uh, but, amount uh, of decibels? That you, you, know could... what, do you know what, do you know what they say? Um, this, you're going to be astounded by this fact. Uh, I'll read it. I'll read it verbatim. Noise. Not surprisingly, silence really does help with concentration. (laughs) (laughs) The art of stating, I think you call it in Britain, the art of stating the bleeding obvious. They do go on to say, students in classrooms near airplane flight paths consistently score worse on reading tests than those in (laughs) (laughs) classrooms. Hold on, yeah, I'd love to set that one up. Okay, you're going to do your IELTS reading here (laughs) below the flight path to Gatwick, okay? Even even better would be the IELTS listening below. Yeah, you'll do 
the IELTS listening and reading below terminal, <laughs> north terminal um, landing zone of Gatwick, and you'll do it in the complete silence of the English countryside, and then we'll compare results. <laughs> so, but the other two, 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 two things in it are uh, what have we talked about? Accessibility, which I think is, is obvious. And, I, you know, a yeah. lot of, um, probably a lot of private language schools, I think, uh, still need to work hard on this. Yeah, and there's also lots being done on that, I think, with yeah. uh, uh, optimizing desi design, design, uh, universal design so that what um, some really interesting stuff that i remember seeing and reading about is you know when you do design for accessibility it's not just the people who it's designed for that benefit it's sort of the benefits accrue to everybody so okay yep can go along with that keep oh, going do, do we actually agree with one there <laughs> we do agree with one i think we agree with all the others they're just pretty obvious this is probably perhaps put it in a slightly more nuanced argument uh yeah. the last point this um website was talking about then in the perfect classroom I, I think i agree with this as well is wall decorations but um, and i think this is a good point that extremely busy walls are distracting yes and i yeah. think that that's uh, a fair point point. and of course they're not talking elt so they're talking they're talking mainstream education animals nature inspirational quotes can have a positive effect on students but they go on to say to think about the posters you put up for example posters of leaders who who are all white men can actually be harmful for students and i think that's a, a fair point yeah um, and something that should be uh thought about yeah i'm gonna twist this then a little bit i got a bit carried away looking into this and i and i found actually somebody who'd done a, a presentation on on perfect classroom furniture oh nice okay yeah go for it they would describe the chair for example they'd say the chair typical chair now is old cheap uncomfortable small unmovable etc so what would be your perfect chair Lindsay? there's a question you never thought you'd get asked would it what's Okay. What's, the, what's the perfect classroom but, chair? Perfect classroom chair. Okay, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Okay, it, it would have to be comfortable, but not too comfortable. Okay, so, you know, like you don't want to have those classroom chairs like you have in some auditoriums when you're seeing a plenary and the chair is so comfortable, like it's like a cinema chair that you just sort of like just fall curl in. up and fall asleep in. So it's got to be straight backed, um, maybe slightly cushioned comfortable easy to move and not with wheels because wheels unless they're really good will come off but sort of like with soft padding on the bottom so it doesn't scrape the floor gosh i i do have lots of thoughts about this yeah i used to really dislike the wheels on the chair I, for the same reason you did but then i was i was inspecting a school a couple of years ago and they the whole classroom were wheelchairs if you're a doctor who fan i always thought they looked a bit like a dalek at the bottom and they moved around but what i found and obviously the teachers were used to doing it they were so efficient for regrouping students that's true so i did like that what are your thoughts on the uh kind of you know you get chairs that have those flip over desks i really really dislike those oh yeah i'm not really i'm not really sure of that i don't like that oh what i would like is a, is a space to put your bag underneath the chair ah okay yeah yeah no, no, that's true although of course if you teach young learners that means the bag is forever coming out coming in coming out coming in, you know that's uh, true that's the perfect chair pop stroke desk if you have a flip over thing um we've talked about wall decoration but what about the perfect classroom wall i mean should it be white is it is, is that your uh, is that your idea do you think yeah or if it was a color like a pastel color like you don't oh, okay. want like a dark burgundy red on the walls it would just feel weird and you certainly don't want like blue or bright yellow would just feel like too much don't you think the person that wrote the powerpoint to which i was referring said the preferred walls of the perfect classroom should be colorful designed don't know quite what they mean by that um and then this one thought provoking 
<laughs> I thought provoking Listen, wall. Get, get into bed and discuss if you think the wall coloring is thought provoking. I don't know. Or do they mean like stuff that's on the wall? Uh, thinking of thought provoking, I uh, was having a, a little reminiscence of a day because I was going for all these old uh, old episodes, and I Go thought on. Uh, we should bring back something we haven't done for a while. So Ooh, take a what listen is that? to this. Imagine that every person in the world is enlightened but you. They are all your teachers. Each doing just the right things to help you learn perfect patience, perfect wisdom, perfect compassion. It's been too long since we've had the angels on the episode. I know. We, we dropped it. Well, our, our voice got a bit busy, didn't it? That voice that you've just heard is actually an, a, uh, an AI text-to-speech voice that I found. Oh, no, it, it is. It, it, <laughs> it was remarkably good. Where do you want to go now? I mean, we've done the perfect classroom. I don't, I'm, I don't want to get back to the grammar for fear <laughs> of uh, uh, of um, enraging <laughs> you again. So, um, All right. Well, what about, what about we have the perfect classroom? Uh, we won't go into perfect staff rooms because we've spoken about that in previous episodes we have um we had also brought to the table you had brought to the table stuff about perfect students what do you want to share about perfect students is there such a thing as a perfect student well uh, let's have a look i mean i'll always refer back to because it's one of my favorite uh, uh, one of the things uh, the jill hadfield exercise in classroom dynamics and it's a it's a a joke writing a joke advert on which there's a writing okay let me read it the perfect student busy but affectionate teacher seeks ideal student to join hard-working group The job is challenging, rewarding, and enjoyable. The successful applicant will be adventurous, sensitive, generous, talkative, uninhibited, punctual, tolerant, warm-hearted, witty, extremely hardworking, amusing, friendly, and willing to buy the drinks at Friday lunchtimes. (laughs) What Um, a great activity. I I didn't know this one. I I have that book. I must have forgotten this activity. Oh, yeah, it's on page page, eight, page okay. 89, if you want to refer to it in the book. I've always used that in training sessions. I often think um, we come in with these unrealistic ideas of our students. And if we think of what we want students to do, you know, there's no such thing in a sense as a perfect no. student. Uh, no, I mean, there are plenty of articles online about what makes a perfect student. Here's one that talks about the habits of the perfect student. They talk about students who use the office hours that the two, uh, these are university students, who use the office hours, who kind of go, uh, who seek out the extra help when they need it who uh, have a dedicated study location so that i suppose that means like the habit of a perfect student is that they go and study in a certain place like they'll go to the library all the time they won't be studying like in bed with their phone next to them open and all that kind of stuff yeah I know, but it's quite interesting because actually I've been doing some work in digital design at the moment. And it's one of the things we're looking into where people are, especially in online courses, because I think there's yes, a distraction that's true as well. there, where people study and actually looking at how the distraction of the environment gets in the way of studying. You know, I was doing an, I was teaching in an online class on a webinar. I was doing a webinar as part of an online yeah. course. And there was someone I could tell that they were watching me on the tablet and they were cooking. <laughs> like, like, they, like they kept moving the thing around. They kind of like could move in and out. And I was like, I was giving my thing there was around six or seven people they were all on and i was like 
what's that? What's that? Is that? Are you cooking? And finally, I had to kind of stop him. Like, what are you doing? They're like, oh no, I'm just making dinner. I'm just, you know, I'm, this is. I was like, Brilliant. well, okay, I, I guess. Uh, one of the things that we were looking at is it's not ELT specifically, but looking at uh, low levels of digital yeah. literacy, and that being one of the things that uh, online students, you know, don't take into consideration that that always there's always a distraction yeah. going on. Um, that you're likely to study, you know, with while you're cooking or with the computer on your lap while you've got telly on, uh, trying to measure where people studied and um, how that might be affecting their results. It's quite, it was it was genuinely quite interesting. Here are some other here are some other habits. Uh, note taking, taking note like like good note taking, not just careless note taking. I'm a bit of a careless note taker myself, but I'm better at I'm better at post writing up things afterwards but note taking during is pretty bad for me so i do you do you not do you still write yes i d- i definitely like rather than taking it down i find i prefer to write and then retype it in afterwards to help it go in because obviously i'm teaching in university at the moment and my students record me a lot yeah I find that they don't actually take notes they just record what's going on i think that taking notes is a better habit yeah, me too. But I also like the idea. I mean, they do record. I mean, these are, and I would say they are some of the people that do fit more into the ideas you've been talking about. But they they kind of record it, listen to it back, That's and then true. make the notes. That, yeah. Uh, as long as they're uh, sort of going over it more than once, I think the important thing is to the, to make the notes and then and then kind of like transcribe them somewhere or or transform that into something else. There is an idea that, you know, all your students taking photos of the board or your slides or something, and they never actually go back and look at what they've taken a photo (laughs) of, you know. uh... Exactly. And I found that I've done that once or twice myself, and then I'm going to clean out my photos in my phone. And I'm like, I've got from like six months ago, a whole bunch of photos of (laughs) of a conference, and I kind of feel guilty just deleting them all, but. I do that and you go, oh yeah, I took that photo to include that in that session six months ago that I forgot and I didn't load back at the photo. Well, exactly. <laughs> the last habit I want to mention, there were a bunch, but I'll just mention this last one because it was interesting. They said, tip uh, sitting in the front row during lectures. This person writing this saying, thinks that sitting in the front is a good method to increase the attention span of a student. You have no distractions from another person's laptop in front of you or being able to zone out at the back of the room with your phone. You know, in a bizarre way, Lindsay, that that because uh, you probably had to listen to it, but that fl- actually links back to that episode that we reflected on before the oh, no. before the angels. The at the end of the at, at the end of the classroom episode, you and I were both talking about how we disliked disliked people coming to workshops and sitting on the back row, and that we'd always sit on the front row as a supportive thing. Uh, the reason why that sticks in my head is because I, um, I was doing a training session about six months after we recorded that episode, and when I went into the room, all the all the teachers were sat on the front row now so i found I remember it bizarre this. and they'd, they'd listen to the episode and said well we're doing it for you because you don't like the background and then i thought well i can't actually uh, handle that uh, <laughs> obviously i've got a work deadline so instead of doing the work deadline i played around with a dropping so i've got uh, a new drop-in uh, for this episode so uh shall we tease the audience with that and then come back to talk about one more thing sure Welcome to my lyrics quiz. Perfect, as well as being a grammar point, is a word that's used in many song titles. So in this little quiz, I'm going to give you the lyrics of songs that have the word perfect in the title. All you've got to do is name the singer. Now, regular listeners of The Commute will know this is the kind of thing I usually give to Lindsay, but I'm not convinced that he has the music knowledge to be able to answer this quiz, hence me asking you. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be worth it. Yeah. 
Too many people take second best. While I won't take anything less, it's got to be, yeah, perfect. Well, of course, if you've been paying attention, those are the lyrics from the uh, the song at the beginning of the episode. So that, so obviously, in answer to this question, you would say Fairground Attraction. Fairground Attraction's video for this song has been viewed 4.4 million times on YouTube. So the next song has been viewed only 1.8 million times. You ready? Who's this then? She's a perfect 10, but she was a 12. Baby, keep a little two for me. She could be sweet 16, busting out of the seams. It's still love in the first degree. And for 1.8 million times, we'll go to one of the most viewed uh, videos ever on YouTube. Also a song called Perfect. And this uh, has been seen 1.9 billion, yes, billion times on YouTube. Baby, I'm dancing in the dark with you between my arms, barefoot on the grass, listening to our favorite song. When you said you looked a mess, I whispered underneath my breath, but you heard it, darling. You look perfect tonight. Bit sickening, isn't it? Bit of a come down for 1.9 billion to our next song. Is that song number three, which uh, has only been, only in inverted commas, been viewed 385 million times. Here we go. But if you like causing trouble up in hotel rooms, and if you like having secret little rendezvous, if you like to do things you know that we shouldn't do, then baby, I'm perfect. Baby, I'm perfect for you. And the YouTube viewers keep tumbling as we go to one that's been viewed 69 million times and personally have used in the classroom so many times. And it would begin just a perfect day, drink sangria in the park, and then later, when it gets dark, we go home. I'll finish with an absolute geeky one. It's only been viewed 364,000 times on YouTube, but it reminds me of being a teenager in the 80s. Are you ready? When she smiles my way, my eyes go out in vain. She's got perfect skin. Shame on you. You've got no sense of grace. Shame on me. Just in case I might come to the conclusion other than that which is absolutely necessary. And that's perfect skin. There you go then. Pop lyrics to guess in descending number of viewers from YouTube. We do esoteric quizzes on this on this podcast, don't we? So your first bomb, she's Perfect 10. Well, obviously the song was Perfect 10 and that was sung by The Beautiful South. Uh, the next one that's been seen 1.9 billion, well, seen 1.9 billion times. That's Ed Sheeran's Perfect. The Causing Trouble in Hotel Room, Secret Little Rendezvous. That's uh, Baby I'm Perfect For You. That's Perfect by One Direction. Uh, the Sangria in the Park, of course, is Lou Reed's Perfect Day. That's, uh, what did I say, 69 million times. And finally, the one uh, the, the one that's been viewed the last 364,000 times. Uh, well, the song, of course, Perfect Skin and sung by Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. Okay, time to go back to the regular podcast. So, Lindsay, as I said in that drop-in, I didn't think you would know any of those songs, which is why I did it to the audience. Uh, <laughs> am I right? Yes, I'm afraid you are, more or less. It's funny how well I, how well we know each other just record just from recording podcast episodes. What's our final uh, perfect thing? Our final perfect thing is I thought we like doing questionnaires to each other and stuff like this, and I thought this was sort of interesting, um, was the idea of a perfectionist um, and whether or not being a perfectionist is a good thing 
for a teacher or not? Is it good, like a teacher who's a perfectionist, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And to finish off, I thought I would test you to see if you are a perfectionist. Yeah? Okay. Do you think you are? I'm not. End of conversation. <laughs> Go on. All right. Well, That's you're just going to say no to all these things. But if right. you are a perfectionist listening to this, here are some characteristics of what um, a perfectionist might be, which I'm going to ask Sean. Sean will answer probably no to all of them, but he might not. And then we'll see if we think this would be good in a teacher or not. Ooh, the suspense of my own answers. <laughs> Sean. Yeah, ready. Do you tend to set high goals and work towards them? right? Uh, actually, yes. That's a yes. Yeah. Okay. But that could be confused with a high achiever. So a high achiever can be satisfied with doing a great job and achieving something close to excellence, even if their goals aren't completely met. But a perfectionist will accept nothing less than perfection. Almost perfect is seen as a failure. High achiever then, so no. But almost perfect is good for you. Yeah. I agree. Same for me. All right. Would you say that you are critical of yourself and of others? You mean in a work aspect? Yes, in work. Let's say you would spot tiny mistakes and imperfections in your own work and yourself, as well as others and their work. Don't know about tiny imperfections. I think as teacher trainers, we're naturally taught to be critical, aren't we? Yeah. But you hone in as a teacher trainer. Would you say you hone in on these imperfections and have trouble seeing anything else? And you're more um, judgmental and hard. No, I don't know. My, I'm, I'm sure there'll be many uh, ex-trainees that might say, oh, yes, you do. I'd like to think not. I do focus on imperfections, yeah, but, but minuscule ones, I don't know. But also, I think that's part of reflective teaching. Yeah. And I think also we're trained to be a bit more tolerant of that NELT, isn't it? Whereas yeah. a perfectionist hones in on the imperfection, doesn't see anything else, and will go like crazy about that. Yeah, And I think, yeah, and I think that's interesting. I mean, I know within that, since we're on teacher training, this idea of, I think people who come to teacher training courses, like those four-week courses, looking uh, immediately to get a grade A or something, the, the perfectionists, they actually miss the bigger picture because they are yeah. so focused on eradicating things that we're actually not bothered about. You know? Well, that's kind of then what, what comes to our next point, which is, do you feel that you, for when you have your goals... Are you pulled by a desire to achieve them and happy with any steps you make? Or do you feel you are pushed towards your goals because you're afraid that you're not going to reach them and anything less than a perfectly met goal is a failure? No, I'd have to go pulled. I'd have to go pulled. I think I, think I have to go pulled. But yeah. I think the whole thing of being pushed towards a goal by a fear of not reaching it is, again, those people who, who need to have the straight A's yeah. on all yeah. their essays, all their projects, etc. A uh, couple more. Okay. Do you enjoy chasing a goal as much or more than actually reaching the goal? Or do you see the goal and nothing else? You're not, you're so concerned about meeting the goal and avoided the dreaded feeling you can't enjoy the process of growing. Uh, I think that actually depends on what the goal is, to okay. be honest. I think if I put it in a training sense, if, if I was being trained, mm -hmm. I'd be one side of it in the sense that I'd be want to know, uh, had I done the job well? You know, like I would focus on the assessment rather than on the process of getting to the assessment. But if I were in, my, in a job, for example, and uh, many goals in, in the different jobs I do, I, I really enjoy the process of the fulfillment of that job, uh, you know, okay. the, in the, of that goal. So I think it's both uh, yeah. for me. The last two are really kind of interesting. Are you prone to procrastination? 
Yeah, very much. You know that. Yeah, <laughs> Hence the section that I've just dropped into the podcast. <laughs> well, they say this is this is was interesting. It says it seems paradoxical that but but perfectionists are prone to procrastination. That's because fearing failure, they will sometimes worry so much about doing something imperfectly that they become immobilized and fail to do anything at all. I had a, a roommate at university who was like that. He was a terrible procrastinator because I think he demanded perfection of a lot of his work, and so uh, by not doing it, they don't do anything. So it leads to more feelings of failure. Right, right. I like to. I procrastinate for a number of reasons. One, I get distracted by people telling me games they're playing and stuff like that. No, uh, I get. I, I actually like. Sometimes I think I procrastinate to build pressure on myself because I like the pressure. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got when well, you've got four weeks to do something, it feels a long way away. But you've got two weeks to do something. That, you know, there's a bit more pressure there, and I, I think I work better that way. But yeah, I, I think procrastination is a natural part of being self-employed as well. Well, that's also true. <laughs> and then the last one that I would say is, do you find that you're defensive? Yeah, you're very defensive to criticism, even constructive criticism. I can be. I think it was. Uh, I I would like to think I've got better at it, but uh, it used to be always one of my, my my things. But I actually think I can be defensive, but I do take it on board. And yeah. listen to it. Of, of of course you do, Sean. Yeah, unless <laughs> unless it's from you, Lindsay, <laughs> or James. Um, well, according to this, they say the the less than perfect performance is painful and scary to a perfectionist. So there's a tendency to take all criticism defensively, even constructive criticism, while simply high achievers can see criticism as valuable information to help their future performance. Mm, probably in a bit of both on that one, if I'm honest. It's interesting, though, because I think there's a lot of, and I guess in the current environment of well-being and mental issues and, and mindfulness and that, it's interesting how much this idea of being perfect, uh, being a perfectionist, which I think, you know, you might first, or when you first encounter this idea of being a perfectionist, it seems to be a very positive thing. But actually, underneath it, they, they, there is now a lot of, a lot coming about actually that it is a route to uh, to being very unhappy and, and, and causing issues. Well, it reminds me, my, my son just told me, and I think we should close up on this, but he All just right. told me he saw the film Whiplash. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That? That's the oh, that has got to be the it? most vile depressing movie i've ever seen the teacher oh, really? just depressed the hell out of me in that but it's all about perfection and music lessons maybe we should do an episode on on watching whiplash and, and what it says about education but it's all about demanding perfection and whether or not um that is like the 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 ultimate goal and and how damaging it can be there's a there's a happy note to finish a perfect uh, i know i on. didn't want to fin- <laughs> otherwise I, let's should we just so, finish uh, with some something else that we're saying like, so, that, that this was the perfect ending? It's always a perfect day to talk when we talk together, record an episode. How's that for saccharin? <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll bring our lesson on perfect to a perfect finish. Everybody, if you uh, if you like this episode, if you're this is the first episode you've heard, you can catch up on nine seasons of episodes that we've recorded over the past four years at our website, uh, tefelcommute.com. You can also find us on on all podcasting places, including things like Podomatic, iTunes, and Spotify. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and all the places. We don't do Instagram. Oh, don't, don't put ideas into James's head. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we also listen to uh, comments and feedback. Um, so, well, but do yeah. we listen to it defensively? Well, we're always striving for perfection, and we are high achievers. <laughs> we <so>. are. <laughs> or we have been. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Bringing it full circle. I think we're done, guys. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go to an end. So, so this has been the Tefl Commute. I've been Sean. I've been Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Bye.
You've been listening to The Tevil Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clanfield, Sean Wilden and James Taylor. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your podcast player of choice and by visiting us at tevilcommute.com. Thank you.